Well, please take a copy of God's word one more time and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 12 through 14. I say one more time because these are the final verses in 1 Peter, so we're finishing up our series today. And the plan uh, right now is for the next, next few weeks leading up to Easter to look at several different passages in the Gospels uh, surrounding the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And then, uh, Lord willing, after Easter time, we will hit the ground running in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, So we'll begin a new series in the book of Deuteronomy next month. Uh, while we're turning to 1 Peter chapter 5, let's remember a few things we've, we've seen uh, that Peter wants to teach us about our new identity in Jesus Christ and uh, the many ways that shapes how, how we live in this world. Christians are identified at the beginning of this letter as elect exiles, people who are foreknown, foreloved by God, and it's precisely because of that that they live in this world as strangers. But lest we think that that means a a retreat from the world or disengagement uh, with the world, a circling of the bandwagons, if you will, Peter has again and again called us as God's people to an outward facing life in every sphere of our lives. To live openly as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ready and prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. Now today we're looking at Peter's final words. And if you've looked over them at first glance. They may appear altogether ordinary. Maybe you're even tempted to think insignificant. Not all that important. So you, you might be looking at them, sitting there thinking, okay, Jared, what's what's Pastor Jared going to say here? Is this going to be like a a magic trick, pulling a rabbit out of a hat? Um, This might seem like a a mundane passage, and in some ways it, it is, and yet at the same time, in the midst of these ordinary closing greetings, I think we're going to find that there are some wonderful truths for us to think about together. In fact, there are three themes that I I want us to reflect on today. The the first theme is that there is grace for you in the word of God. The second theme is that there is love for you in the church of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Grace for you in the word of God, love for you in the church of Christ. And then thirdly, the third theme, there is peace for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so grace in the word, love in the church, peace in Christ. Those are the three themes we're going to think about together today. With that in mind, let's turn uh, our attention to reading uh, Peter's final greetings in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. And let's hear God's word together. By Silvanus, faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. 
She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. From the very beginning of this letter, Peter has been speaking to us about the true grace of God. In his opening greeting, as I said, he, he identifies these Christians spread throughout Asia Minor as elect exiles who are strangers in the world because they have been loved from before the foundation of the world by the Father and set apart in the Spirit by the obedience and blood of Jesus Christ. And right after his initial greeting, Peter launches into a doxology, a a word of praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his mercy, has caused us to be born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he's given us an inheritance that is being kept in heaven for you that is imperishable. Undefiled. And Peter has also talked to us uh, about God's grace to us as a people. He's talked to us about our corporate identity as God's people. Ask the question, who are we? And Peter's answer is that through Christ Jesus, you are a holy nation, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. People who have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light so that you may tell others about the greatness of your God. And so you see, with with all of that in view as, as well, Peter has talked to us about this new identity that we have in Jesus Christ. And he throughout the letter in different ways and in different contexts has also talked to us about how that new identity governs and shapes how we live in this world as we await the appearance of our blessed hope. And so from beginning to end, 1 Peter is a letter about the true grace of God. And it's to this theme that Peter returns at the end of his letter, and it's the first theme that I want us to think about together this morning, that there is grace for you in the word of God. Have a look again at verse 12, where Peter says, Basilvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Now, a couple things we need to say before we get to the heart of what Peter is saying here. Uh, Silvanus is another name for for Silas. And so most commentators believe this Silvanus is the same Silas that was a partner with the Apostle Paul in some of his missionary journeys. Uh, So you can read about him in places like Acts chapters 15 through 18 in uh, 2 Corinthians 1 and in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Uh, so Silvanus was uh, a known leader in the early church, except 
when he was with Paul, they, they never actually made it into Asia Minor, the churches Peter is writing to in this letter. We read in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, that Paul and, and Silas were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And so while Salvanus was, was known among many churches founded by Paul, he was likely not as well known uh, in the churches to which Peter wrote this, this letter. So Peter is commending Sylvanus to them, saying he regards him as a faithful brother. He is, he is putting his apostolic approval on him. And, and I think he does that because Sylvanus was most likely the one delivering this letter to the churches throughout Asia Minor. I think that's what Peter means when he says, by Sylvanus, I wrote to you. Some, some think that this means uh, he was Peter's uh, amanuensis, uh, secretary of sorts. Uh, somebody who, who wrote the actual letter of 1 Peter as Peter dictated it perhaps. But, and we certainly have examples of that in the New Testament. For example, Romans. But that's made clear in a, in a very different way. I think what Peter means here is he's saying that by means of Sylvanus, he, he, he's delivering and communicating his letter. So he, he, he's, the, he's the carrier, the deliverer, and the communicator of the content of First Peter to these churches throughout Asia Minor. So he's the, the delivery system, if you like. If, uh, if I were to say to you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to write to you through email. You don't actually think that, you know, Gmail is writing the email for me. You understand that it's a, it's a means to communicating the message. Peter means something like that here. And all of this really serves to underscore just how weighty a thing it really was and is to receive Peter's letter. Right? This, is, this is not some postcard sent from Rome and you turn it over and on the back it says, you know, from Rome, wish you were here, love Peter. That's not what this is. It is not a throwaway message. This is a letter written by an apostle of Jesus Christ. In other words, this is a word from the risen and reigning Christ to his church written by the Apostle Peter, delivered now in the hands of Silvanus. So it's a letter that comes to the churches with a great deal of gravity and authority. And, and notice what Peter says this letter is all about. <clears throat> Don't miss this. I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. <laughs> So what is it that the risen Christ wants to communicate to his people throughout Asia Minor and around the world through the Apostle Peter and by the hand of Silvanus? He wants us to understand the true grace of God. He really is talking here about the entire letter. What is 1 Peter all about? It is about the true grace of God. As I said at the beginning, the reality of our new identity in 
Jesus Christ and and all of the exhortations and calls to obedience that flow from that, the promises and the commands, all of it together as a harmonious message communicates to us the grace of God to us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. A grace that redeems sinners from sin. A grace that redeems sinners from lives of futility. A grace that trains us to live in a new manner of life as we follow the example of Jesus Christ. That is the content of this letter. And we could, I think, legitimately expand that idea and say this is true of the entire Bible. If we were to ask the question, what is this? What is this book? We could say... It is the true grace of God. In other words, it it expounds to us and it declares to us the undeserved, free, sufficient, never failing, bring you all the way home to God, true grace of God that is given to us in Christ Jesus. And friends, you see what that means? It means that in days when you're, you're feeling like you're on empty. How does, how does Bilbo put it? Like uh, too little butter spread over too much bread. <laughs> Days when you're feeling like that. There, there are the resources of grace for you here in the word. Times of crisis when, when it seems like the earth is giving way. There is an unfailing grace for you here. When you you feel sad, alone, anxious, depressed, there's grace right here. There's grace for you when you're hurting. Grace suited to your needs. Sufficient grace to assure you and to keep you and to sustain you here in the scriptures as they are God's means of giving Christ to you. Of communicating him to his people. There's something else to see here in in verse 12 about how the word comes to us and and how we should respond to it. Um, Notice first how the word comes to us in Peter's description. He tells us that when he wrote the letter, it was to communicate the grace of God. Okay, but, but how? And he says, by exhortation and declaration. See that? Look at look at what he says again. I've written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Uh, that, that word exhorting, it, it refers to pastoral exhortation and, and application of the truth to the heart. It, it would involve tender encouragement as well as ethical challenge. The word declaring involves the, the open statement of the truth, proclaiming the mystery of the gospel. And so what can we say in light of what Peter is saying here? At the very least, we have to say this. That the word of God never comes to us dispassionately. That the word of God never comes to us without purpose. The Bible is not a book of interesting facts for us to look at and discuss and debate. It's not a book that we can approach as neutral observers. No, the The Bible is God's word to us about his grace to us 
in Jesus Christ. And therefore, it, it is inevitably a word that confronts us. It, it is a word that challenges us. It's a word that encourages and strengthens and nourishes and heals. It's a word that trains us to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it does it sometimes in unsettling ways and sometimes in, in incredibly encouraging ways, but always, always for our everlasting good. And so the word comes to us exhorting us and declaring to us the true grace of God. And then notice how we should respond. The rest of verse 12, I've written to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it, Peter says. Stand firm in the grace of God. Take your stand on the grace of God in the good news of Jesus Christ that is found in Holy Scripture. Take your stand on the word of God. That's what Peter is saying to us. He's reminding us that it's, it's reliable, it's unchanging. It will not fail you. That's an amazing truth to think about when we realize that there are, there are shifting sands all around us, aren't there? There are, there are so many talking heads, so many competing voices vying for our attention and our allegiance. So many gurus who are offering you know, their take on what, the, what, what your problem is and how it needs to be solved. What you should believe and, and how you should live. So many, so many political pundits, so many... Uh, TV personalities who are bickering back and forth about what's true and what's right and what you should think. It can all be very disorienting, can it? It's no wonder that people so often feel confused in our times. In this world, we, we need, don't we? We desperately need a solid, sure, dependable source of truth. And Peter's reminding us, that it's found, it's found right here in the word of God. You can stand firm by taking your stand here because there is grace for you in the word of God. That's the first theme. Let's run on to the second theme, that there is love for you in the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus was emphatic about this, wasn't he? A new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another we sometimes in our circles talk about the marks of the church and we'll mention the, the ministry of the word, the proper preaching of the word, the right administration of the sacraments and the exercise of, of church discipline. But don't you think that, that love belongs right alongside of those, those traditional marks of the church? Because in a church where the word is rightly being proclaimed and communicated and is rightly being received, the fruit of all of that, according to this word, is love. Love among the people of God. And so this has implications for church life, love in the church. It means, at the very least, that the church is not a loose association of individuals it is, in fact, a fellowship of believers who are bound together in love. 
And I want you to see how Peter bears witness to this reality in a number of ways in these verses. First, in verse 12, we could just skip right over this. He, he calls Silvanus his brother. And in verse 13, he refers to Mark as his son. Not, not here a biological son, but he's saying, Mark, my son in the Lord. According to tradition, this is, this is John Mark. This is, this is Mark who <coughs> became a close associate of the Apostle Peter and stuck with him through thick and thin. And it looks as though you know, he's, he's with Peter there near the end in Rome. This is, this is Mark to whom Peter would, would relay his eyewitness account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And we have it in our possession today. It's called the Gospel of Mark. Okay, but, but notice Peter calls Silvanus brother and Mark his son. And we, we've got to recognize that that's not throwaway language. These are not synonyms for, you know, Peter's pals. But this, is, this is purposeful language that Peter uses because Peter understands that this is what the true grace of God does among the people of God. When people come to Jesus, they're united to him, and in him they are united to one another as one people, one nation, one family, a brotherhood of believers. We can see the family ties in another fascinating way in verse 13, in the the somewhat cryptic language where Peter says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. Now, she who is at Babylon is code for the church who is in Rome. She is the church. Babylon is Rome. Okay. Remember, in the Old Testament, Babylon was a worldly power that, that sent God's people into exile. And that event in the Old Testament was paradigmatic for the New Testament church's self-understanding. The, uh, understanding the, the, the nature of the church's existence throughout the world. Right? We are a people in exile, waiting to go home one day. The powers of the world, like Rome, are like Babylon, and the church is a sojourning community dwelling in a foreign land. So think about this. Peter, Peter began this letter greeting the elect exiles of the dispersion throughout Asia Minor, okay? who were foreknown by God, foreloved by God. And now he closes this letter saying, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. In other words, Christians in Rome who are likewise chosen and loved by God send greetings to fellow exiles in Asia Minor who are foreknown and loved by God. And so for Peter, think about this, Christians in one place treated other believers in another place as fellow exiles waiting to go home one day. They they are not unrelated. They are not unconnected. They, They share the same identity, calling, and destiny because they are all together united to the same Lord. And isn't that just a wonderful reality to to think about. And and what if if we thought of fellow believers and Christians in other places of the world that way more and more, as fellow 
exiles and sojourners, fellow citizens of the kingdom of God, fellow members of the family of God, and heirs of the promise. You see, by example, that's precisely what Peter is doing in his closing words here. He's telling us, this is how we ought to think of our fellow believers. So, not only then does does Peter model the love between individual Christians with brothers like Sylvanus and his his, uh, youth in the Lord, Mark, he, he shows there is a connection and love between whole congregations. The church, you see, is distinguished by its love, by concern and mutual care. Love is to be the prevailing characteristic of the church of Jesus Christ. It is. See, the impression left on others watching these sojourning communities around the world, they they ought to be left with an impression. Whatever I make of their faith and their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, here's a group of people who really care about each other, really love one another. And this is why Peter's last exhortation, think about that, the last exhortation he gives to them in this letter, the last thing he tells believers to do is to greet one another with the kiss of love. Now, some of you might be squirming in your seats at this point. Um, well, look, okay, we, we understand this, don't we, that, it, you know, culturally speaking, it was a social custom for, for, for men and women to affectionately greet one another with a kiss on the cheek as an expression of love. Okay, it's not a social custom in our culture, and some of you might be giving thanks for that. But the point that Peter is making still stands, doesn't it? He's not commanding us to get up and give each other a kiss on the cheek as we head out today. But he is saying that our love for one another has to be expressed tangibly, concretely, visibly, in ways that can be seen and and felt in appropriate ways. Peter is saying, make your love for one another concrete. Maybe you're listening and maybe you're not a part of the church or or maybe you've been a part of the church and this just sounds like, you know, wishful talk. I know many people who've been let down or or hurt by the church and maybe you've walked away at some point or or maybe you've never even had a church home. And look, I'll I'll be the first to say this up front that um, here at Trinity... We, we are going to let each other down at times because we were sinners, <laughs> saved by the grace of God, but sinners still who have a long way to go. We don't always love each other the way that we should. But, but let, me, let me also say, to encourage you, I have, I have seen firsthand and I have heard by accounts of others that you really love each other. <laughs> And I want, to, I want to encourage you in that, and I want to say, let's, let's keep going. Let's continue to stir one another up in love and good deeds. Because God designed the church to be a place of belonging and consolation, a place of encouragement and love for all of his people. You see, there is something profound missing in our lives if we do not enjoy fellowship with believers united together in Jesus Christ. 
And here's the sad reality. If, if that's missing, particularly I'm thinking here of younger generations, if, if that's missing, then people will go looking for that kind of connection and fellowship and relational connection in other places, in other circles, and other contexts, and it will not always be a good thing. And so, brothers and sisters, it really is important that all of us find love in the church of Jesus Christ. It, it is imperative that we look beyond our own circles of biological family and our closest friends to embrace the family of God, to love the people around us. And that takes work. It takes sacrifice. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes commitment. But it's something that naturally flows out of the gospel that we profess. And so grace for you in the word, love for you in the church, and then briefly, just for a few minutes, peace for you in Christ. You're saying there is peace for you in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. See that in verse 14, peace to all of you who are in Christ. You know, it, it is so easy to treat closing words as a mere formality. Right? When we get an email or a letter, we hardly even pay any attention to the signing off words. It's easy to just skip over them. But friends, we miss something truly wonderful if we do that with Peter's words here. He follows the traditional greeting at the end of this letter, but it is no mere formality for Peter. He turns it into a benediction of God's people, a word of blessing to those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, he, he expresses one of the principal blessings of the gospel here, peace, peace in Jesus Christ, peace with God, peace that comes from God. Peter has already reminded us that when the grace of God in the word has, has its way in our lives, what, what the fruit of that will be. We, we've talked about it, love, love from, love from God in Christ and love between those who trust in Christ. Love in the church is a fruit of the gospel. Now he reminds us of the, we could say, the great fruit of the word of God, the grace of God through his word at work in our hearts is peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, if you are in Christ, peace is yours. So that you can truly say and sing, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And friends, don't we need peace like that in our lives? The last couple of years, I think we'd all agree, it seems like one disturbing thing after another has happened, both here and abroad. So in a world full of trouble, where can we find lasting, undisturbable peace? Peter's reminding us there's, there's one place where lasting peace is found. Peace that surpasses understanding. He's saying you must be in Christ. You must be found in him. Nothing and no one else will give you lasting peace. Real peace that, that the world cannot take away and, 
and, and, and, and rip from your hands. Lasting peace is found in Christ alone. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And so as we sign off and as we finish our series here in 1 Peter, the pressing question is, are, are you in Christ? Are you a man, a woman, a boy, a girl in Christ Jesus? How do you get into Christ? You get into Christ by trusting him. You know, the language of the New Testament regarding faith is actually believing into, into personal, real connection with the Lord Jesus Christ by taking hold of him, embracing the promises of God that are all yes and amen in Christ Jesus. The gospel tells you that there is peace for you with God. But if we don't know that peace in our lives, dear friends, the first step begins with humbly recognizing the reality that left to ourselves, we are not, in fact, at peace with God. Truth be told, we all know that. We do. We, know, we all know that. Apart from Christ, things are not right between us and God. We have turned away from the Lord, whether it be in the form of living life on my terms, my way, pursuing my own passions and doing whatever I want, or whether in the way of trying to conform to a list of rules to say, I'm good enough, thank you very much, I don't need your help. We have turned away from the Lord. And we are not at peace with God. And that's why Christ had to come. That's why Christ himself had to make peace for us, because the righteous wrath of God against our sins needed to be dealt with, and it has been dealt with by God pouring out his wrath on Christ to bring us peace. And so the gospel can truly say to us, there is peace for you in Jesus Christ. And you get into Christ by trusting in him. And so in the final word, here's, here's the message Peter has for us as he signs off. He's saying there, there is grace for you in the word. So brothers and sisters, let's be people of the word. There is love for you in the church of Jesus Christ. So let's be a people who, who give and receive love in the church of Jesus Christ. And there is peace for you. In Jesus Christ. So let's be sure every single one of us are found in him. In Christ. Him who is our peace. Please pray with me. Father in heaven we uh, thank you for your grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is our everlasting peace. We are grateful for these several months together in uh, this book, this letter that Peter wrote and is ultimately from you to your people. I pray that we would take its truths with us and that you'd hide them away in our hearts. I pray that we would know for ourselves that there is grace to be found in your word as it gives to us the resources of our Savior Jesus Christ. We pray that uh, our community here 
that uh, our life together as a church would reflect that this gospel reality, that there's love in the family of God. And uh, we pray that each and every one of us, our loved ones, even people here who do not know peace with you, that today might be the day of salvation when you draw them to the Lord Jesus and they find in him everlasting peace. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.